right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the pod. I'm Nick, and today I'm joined by Daryl and Sedipto. Today, we're going to be looking at bias in AI, and specifically AI applications for healthcare. This is a big topic, and this is our first time looking at it. Um, so I just kind of wanted to uh, kind of introduce the topic a little bit. And when I when I hear AI, you know, thoughts naturally go to Knight Rider or data on Star Trek or something. But really, uh, that's, those are artificial intelligences and, and humans that uh, are co- mimics of human capabilities. Uh, what we're talking about here is augmented intelligence, uh, computers and algorithms that are trying to assist with medical decision-making that's uh, already in progress, already happened. So like uh, an augment to existing workflows and so forth. Um, I just want to start with the physician perspective. Uh, there is a lot of frustration today with technology and medicine, and uh, we're spending a lot on patient care and a lot on technology and not getting uh, terrific outcomes. Um, and I think when doctors log into their EHR, uh, their electronic health system, and they they try to interact with it uh, on a patient chart, they, they see this clinical decision support, these basic systems, and they're, they're very simple and they're they're not smart systems. They're kind of dumb systems. Um, a lot of if-then statements. You know, if the patient's taking medication X, then show a pop-up warning if you're trying to prescribe medication Y, if it's you know related uh, or some kind of risk is involved. And there's no context involved. It doesn't matter if the patient's already been taking these two drugs together for years. There's no memory. There's no uh, you know kind of uh, risk stratification. It's just if there's some kind of risk, doctor's going to see an alert. Um, and these alerts are frustrating, and they're often dismissed. Um, and I think a lot of doctors have been, you know, they watch ads on TV about IBM Watson, and they they see, you know, AI in other realms, and they're kind of anxious about when computers are going to start helping with uh, really tough questions, bigger questions, like uh, predicting which patients are going to be bouncing back after an inpatient stay, or which patients would benefit from a, a discussion on hospice care or going to a nursing home. Um, which hospitalized patients are going to decompensate in the next 24 hours. Um, these are all uh, questions of physician gestalt. There's there's evidence out there to help guide these decisions. There's plenty of data that we could use, but it's in a lot of different uh, domains. There's demographics and vital signs and lab results and other patient factors. And so it is, it is really hard to kind of uh, predict these things. Computers, probably pretty good at it, um, or could be very good at it. Uh, and I think physicians are looking for some help on these big, tough questions uh, to help crunch the data and help focus a doctor's attention on these tough topics. These, that's that's kind of my sense of the motivation, at least. Uh, Sedipto, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, these are these are great points. And, you know, I mean, this is one topic that we can discuss for hours and hours without even touching, you know, bottom there. And so I'm glad that, you know, you're, you're queuing this up, Nick, and, you know, we're going to come back to it as we evaluate solutions. You know, as you know, you know, our health system is doing a lot in this sort of space as well. Um, but, you know, you know, to take, take it back to the original uh, intent here, you know, I'm kind of glad that we're discussing bias and AI so much earlier in the growth cycle compared to other things. So, for example, I mean, you know, the one example that comes to mind is security. It's so many times solutions and applications think of security as the last thing and that the last checkbox to consider and not the first one. I think bias and AI and these algorithms should be something that we consider early on. 
Now, you know, we have a varied audience uh, and some may be experts in AI and can, you know, teach a class and, you know, others may be uh, somewhat sort of new dabbling in the space. So just to level set the context, um, here's you know, some definitions perhaps uh, that might be helpful. So AI and machine learning, both, you know, they all have this concept of a target variable that's embedded in it, which is basically the thing that is being predicted. So, and to predict this thing, uh, there are associated labels within the available data that give it the power to determine the desired outcomes or predictions. And, you know, there is essentially learning through past examples or instances of this certain something that we're talking about. Now, let me make it a little real with a simple example. If you take Netflix, you know, Netflix giving you recommendations on what other shows you may like or what are the movies that you may like. And at a simplistic level, we can say that these predictions of the type of movies you may like in the future, uh, that becomes the target, is based on the available data on what you have been watching. That's super, super simplistic. But, you know, if you think about it, picking the wrong movie or show has very different consequences than an AI algorithm deciding if you should be given a particular treatment or it should be admitted to the uh, hospital or not. So... I think this is why it's this is an important topic that we discuss AI bias in healthcare very early on in the in the life cycle. You know, I took a course at NYU uh, where my professor talked about biases in AI stemming from the data or information that falls into three different categories. Um, you know, data that is uncounted, unaccounted, or discounted. Now, let's, you know, step away from the geeky theoretical terms and, you know, make it a little bit more practical with some examples. So some investigators, Oberman et al. in the Lancet, you know, they looked at an algorithm to predict future healthcare needs. That sounds great, right? Well, that's something we want. If we have an alert during a simple clinical encounter, hey, this patient is high risk, we can identify these patients and get them services before they get too sick, prevent hospitalization, suffering, all sounds good. But when they tried to figure out healthcare needs, they used healthcare spending as a proxy. And we know that black patients spent less on average than white patients, despite the same disease burden. So the AI here would be less likely to alert the doc, the social worker, the care team about a black patient's health risks, and black patients would be less frequently offered interventions. Not good even though the algorithm was programmed to be race blind. In another example, um, Bob Walker published um, that in a, a really good example around the COVID time from UCSF, they wanted to cut down on holes in the schedule from no-show patients. So they developed an algorithm that predicted no-shows. And if they had, say, two patients that were only 50% likely to show up, then the plan was for the AI to double book the patients so the doctor had a better chance of having a steady workload. Well, they looked at what the AI would be doing and it looked pretty bad. You know, the patients that would be that would get double booked would be the ones uh, most in need of care. Like they had, they, they had more, more comorbid conditions, more issues with transportation, more social determinants of health. So, in the end, they pulled the plug on the AI and instead used these predictions to reach out to patients to ensure they could make their appointment. And, you know, that was a much happier ending, but really highlights, you know, 
what AI can do if not thought through completely. Yeah, these that's these are some really disturbing examples. And I can tell you, like if if they if they were in production in the electronic health record, like it's very tempting to kind of follow these recommendations. I think there's like this human tendency to say, oh, that you know, the computer thinks uh, we've got to do this, and and I'm sure that they're right, you know. Um, so uh, disturbing, and yet uh, there there was a lot of potential. There is a lot of potential, I think, in AI if it's done right. So how do we how do we salvage this technology? Yeah, you know, um, it's a great question. And I, while I don't have a lot to say about you know how the bias happens or where it, where it exactly happens, um, you know, I do wonder if there's things that we can put in place to at least help make sure it's less of an issue over time, right? Um, part of it, I think, is going to be around just awareness uh, that this exists out there uh, by the researchers who are doing um, the, the training on the AI. Um, but also additional rigor should be put in place for the AI research in general so that we ensure that people in all different walks of life are represented appropriately when that training is being uh, completed. Um, and perhaps the AI needs to prove that um, it, it doesn't have bias. You know, um, I don't know if it's the equivalent of a double-blind clinical trial for an AI training, but um, maybe there's some sort of tests that can be developed to make sure that the, the populations that were leveraged are representative um, across society. Right? Um, and, and maybe we need to do that before we introduce it into a healthcare system or some sort of healthcare tool, especially the EHR. Right? Um, and perhaps these tools, such as the EHRs, that that leverage and home have homegrown built AI systems, maybe they need to publish some of this data and make it available either to the hospital system that's purchasing it, um, maybe the patient or other governmental agencies. Um, you know, and when I mentioned governmental agencies, you know, I, I initially think that maybe the FDA should regulate this. This should be FDA regulated. But as soon as I say that, I start to think about some of the things uh, that and issues that could come out of regulation, especially FDA regulation, whether it's um, just the way that rules are, are interpreted um, or just the timelines. Uh, you know, AI is moving at breakneck speeds. Even people who are in this industry are having trouble keeping up at certain times. And then for a set of regulators um, to put laws in place, it may just constantly be out of date. So, and, you know, maybe it's not. It, maybe there's a big question there as to whether the FDA could regulate this, but maybe there are guidelines that, that could be put in place such that, again, it comes back to researchers who are doing this being aware um, and, um, and and making sure that they're cognizant of the issues that could arise if they don't leverage the, the appropriate populations. Uh, possibly there's some level of um, self um attestation to these guidelines that are produced so that you know we don't have to go check on it but the company is stating yes we did do this there's some some stamp of, of approval but um, you know those are a few a few um, items that I think we could that maybe we could focus on and I believe the the FDA is focusing on they are they have put out some guidance around this they're focusing on um, devices that have clinical decision support where the provider is unable to independently review uh, the data um, so I believe they are focusing on it but I think I think the um, 
I, I think we do need to address this quickly because it could have um, huge ramifications down the line. Yeah, for sure. And I, I am a little encouraged that, uh, you know, I, just, I saw recently that uh, a publication about a new tool called Probast, uh, Prediction Model Risk of Bias Assessment. It's from Nagendran, Topal, Yanidis, and, and other luminaries in the field. And um, you can apply it to all kinds of AI algorithms to kind of see if there's like a, an inherent bias. And they they applied it, I think, to dozens of algorithms. They found, you know, the majority of them did have some uh, degree of bias, even even the ones that were billed as, you know, race blind or gender blind. They, they did have some kinds of associations that, uh, you know, you'd want to uh, correct. But um, these tools, at least, they could be part of the FDA toolkit or they could be part of the developer's toolkit so that they, you know, before they release one of these into production, uh, at least they, they've kind of gone through these kinds of assessments. Yeah, um, I, com- I completely agree with you guys. You know, I mean, if I can sort of try to summarize what you guys are sort of saying, you know, there are two things that come to my mind uh, as concrete steps that can be taken. Uh, I think step one is basic awareness amongst everyone who is a consumer or creator of AI, you know, whether it's the doctor, as you've mentioned, Nick, who's a consumer or developer, you know, of a company or a wearable or device who thinks, you know, they're going to be creating something so cool with AI, you know, because the identification of any bias that has to start with the recognition that there can be bias. So this general awareness is probably as important as anything else so that people consciously think of this. I think the second thing that needs to be done is, uh, and to Daryl's point earlier, whether the FDA steps in or some other body steps in, but even for organizations like ours that are thinking on using AI broadly is to you know, create a formal AI review board to evaluate the results of what it would predict, kind of like maybe what Bob Wachter did earlier. Now, this is not to throw bureaucracy at this thing, but it's, it's really important that we plan around it um, before time, before something bad happens and you know, we're you know, sitting uh, in a courtroom trying to justify what was done. You know, back in the day, the HR departments, when they were formed, you know, they evolved over time to, to guide how employee performance should be done, what's right, what's not right, what the right hiring practices, practices are. And they sort of grew out from there. And maybe there should be a similar structure within organizations for monitoring and detecting and and addressing AI-based bias. Yeah, I'm really kind of looking forward to coming back to this topic, uh, um, whether we're talking about it from the FDA angle or these AI review boards or just how, how can these algorithms, how transparent can they really be? Um, some of them are going to be proprietary. Some of them are just going to be so complicated that it, it, it's going to be hard. But um, what interests me also is a lot about how doctors will communicate with patients about AI recommendations. You can just imagine these kind of rushed conversations in a clinical setting where it's like, oh, you know, the computer thinks you need to be admitted, uh, so let's do that. And you know, the patient really has to depend on the doctor. It's the doctor that's still ultimately responsible, and it's the doctor that uh, you know has the relationship with the patient, that the, tr- the, the patient trusts the doctor, not the computer. Um, so, you know, we I think doctors have to be pretty good at describing you know what goes into the AI recommendations, the factors involved, uh, and you know why they might be off base or, or, or accurate. 
Um, and that, that kind of leads me to, you know, I'm always interested in predictions. Love putting people on the hot seat. Well, I, we can't make any predictions right now about the, I think, the widespread availability of AI because it is already here. It is working in the back end on, on some, it is available through a lot of EHR vendors. And I think it will be influencing, uh, you know, some decisions on, on a, a lot of patients uh, already today and, and certainly in the, in the coming years. Um, what kind of interests me is about liability. And of course, doctors are already vulnerable to malpractice suits with some regularity. Um, and I know that doctors love to throw their electronic systems under the bus if they have a chance to do that. So I'm kind of curious if prosecutors are going to go after an EHR uh, instead of a doctor because you know these vendors have deep pockets. And I don't think there's been any kind of AI on trial case yet, at least uh, not in the healthcare system uh, settings. But uh, my prediction is in the next two years, there will be something like that. Some some doctor will will make a decision based on some AI recommendation. It'll be the wrong decision. And um, and uh, there will be a lawsuit, but the, the prosecutors will go after the AI instead of the doctor. My, my hot seat prediction. That is uh, pretty interesting and pretty dire. <laughs> And uh, but it's you know it it's, it is amazing to to think that uh, that that sometimes uh, a, you know AI may um, may be on, on trial at a at a stand um, and and we'll we'll see because you know as things evolve and deep learning algorithms and other things sort of pop in it's uh, you know all these things just go into a black box I mean. At least with algorithms, sometimes you know you reason, you know where, where the data is coming from. And there's old statistical models that are applied, but for many of these deep learning things, you know it's like you just try to create a dish by throwing a lot of spices in, and out comes something beautiful. But you just don't know what happened, and you can't explain that. So that'll be an interesting evolution to to, to see. But you know, to the points discussed here, you know, hopefully we can put some guardrails and controls around that. So you know, my prediction, you know. I think I'll, I'll go with an optimistic sort of tone. Uh, I, I believe that you know, the fact that we're thinking about AI and bias in, through AI early in the evolution is a good sign. So there's hope that the new world order that we create is going to be better than the one before. Because, you know, frankly speaking, machine-based biases may be easier to identify, remedy, um, and, and solve for as compared to human biases, you know, which still exist and are perpetuated through, uh, through, through many, many generations and so on. So that's my hopeful tone for this thing, Nick. <laughs> I'll thank you, Sadipto. It's good to, to leave on a high note and, and I hope you're right. Uh, I want to thank Sadipto and Daryl for joining us today and we will see you next time. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.